Spring is in the air at Littleton Coin Company, and we want to help you brighten your collection. Visit us at littletoncoin.com all month long to enjoy 15% off your purchase. With a wide selection of coins, paper money, supplies, and more, Littleton Coin Company has something for every collector's taste. Use promo code SPRING at littletoncoin.com for 15% off your purchase all month long. Restrictions apply. Littleton Coin Company. Serving collectors since 1945. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Live from Liverpool, The Dark Paranormal, Season 2. Hello, and welcome to The Dark Paranormal. Again, I'd like to thank everyone who reached out with some feedback or comments in relation to last week's episode, Episode 1, of the Enfield Poltergeist. Today, we're going to take a look at the latter half of the investigation and also look at some details which may throw some doubt onto the entire case. Don't forget, if you'd like to get in touch with the show, you can do so by emailing thedarkparanormal at hotmail.com. Also, if you're a fan of the show and you'd like to see it continue then you can become one of our Patreons. Becoming a Patreon will give you early access to each episode and also some extra perks dependent on the tier level you join. Head over to patreon.com forward slash thedarkparanormal. And I'd like to take the time to say a specific thank you to Tony and Pam for your lovely comments and emails regarding last week's show. Now, without any further ado, let's get back to 1970s London and find out just how the Hodgsons are coping with their new guest. The four men ran up the stairs to find Janet on the floor, seemingly in a stupor. She started growling, and then there was like this big bang, said John. Peggy sat Janet down as the four men, hearts racing, tried to make sense of what just happened. Janet, my love, whatever happened? said a frantic Peggy, clearing Janet's fringe from her face. There was an authoritative knock at the door. Can one of you get that, please? asked Peggy to the confused men. Yeah, yeah, of course, replied Thorpe, shaking the fear off himself as he walked down the stairs. He opened the door to a very well-dressed man, somewhere in his sixties if he had to guess and a handlebar moustache that could only be pulled off by the most eccentric of Englishmen. The gentleman gave a broad smile and reached out his hand. You call the SPR? You think you have a poltergeist? Sorry? Oh, yes, sorry, we did, replied Thorpe. Ah, it is the right address, then. Your face made me think you wasn't expecting me, 
My name is Morris Gross. Morris Gross was every bit the eccentric that his moustache implied. Serving in World War II, he was one of the few soldiers successfully evacuated from Dunkirk. And after the war, he became something that as a profession is as rare today as his handlebar moustache. He became an inventor. Submitting several mechanical patents during this period, he eventually found fortune by inventing the rotating advertising billboards still seen in bus stations and similar places across the world today. In his retirement, Morris developed a keen interest in the paranormal, which is what drove him to become a member of the SPR. For those listeners unaware, the SPR, or the Society for Psychical Research, at the time was as professional as it got in regards to a body which would investigate the paranormal. Founded in 1882 by a group of scholars from Cambridge University, the SPR was the antithesis of the modern social media ghost hunter. Morris had called the SPR on an almost daily basis, asking for his first case to research. And so, it was a delight for him to receive the call from the SPR that very morning. Morris drank his tea whilst the reporters and Mrs Hodgson filled him in on the events that had happened at Green Street. So this all sounds like standard poltergeist activity, I'd say. Things getting thrown about, knockings, rappings on the walls, he said rather excitedly, scribbling down notes as he talked. After the initial meeting, Morris visited the Hodgson's in the following days. He became convinced that this was a genuine case, specifically due to one afternoon when he witnessed a marble flying through the air. This in itself was not the most peculiar thing, but more that when it hit the floor, it did not roll as you would expect, and in fact stopped dead at Morris's feet. As Morris bent down to pick the marble up, a crashing sound came from the kitchen area. Walking at pace, he entered the room to find all the drawers had been pulled out, spilling some of their contents across the floor. Morris was deep in thought when he travelled home that evening. He needed someone with experience in poltergeist hauntings to assist him. And in all honesty, he needed someone with investigation experience also. For a first case, this was starting to make Morris feel slightly out of his depth. When he got home, he immediately contacted Eleanor O'Keefe, the secretary at the SPR. She in turn put him in touch with a member of the SPR named Guy Lyon Playfair. Playfair was a renowned investigator in poltergeist activity. His cases would take him as far as Brazil, chasing claims of the unknown. A quiet and scholarly-looking man in comparison to Morris's flamboyance, For well over a year, the two would go on to do one of the most thorough and controversial investigations in SPR history. This is Guy, a smiling Morris said to Peggy, gesturing with his hands. With poltergeists, you name it, he's seen it, he said, patting Guy on the back. The three of them settled down on the couch, whilst Guy asked the questions Peggy had been asked many times before. When did it start? What room did it prefer? What items have been moved? 
This small interrogation was interrupted by Morris raising his hand to signify silence in the room. Everyone looked at Morris. Listen, he whispered. Woof! A small but significant bark. Woof! A bigger, almost gravelly bark coming from upstairs. Ah, it's only a bloody dog, said Morris. Sorry, carry on. We don't have a dog, replied Peggy. A small silence filled the room. Can I ask who's upstairs? said Guy, meekly. Janet and Margaret, and if they've took a dog upstairs, I'll bloody kill them. The three of them walked upstairs, Peggy taking the lead. Janet, she shouted as they reached the landing. Margaret came running out to meet them, her hand to her mouth, trying to hide laughter. What's so funny, girl? asked Peggy. Margaret pointed to the bedroom. Morris took over Peggy and pushed the bedroom door open. Janet was sat on the bed, eyes flickering as if in some sort of trance. She started barking, and then a dog barked from under her bed. But louder, chuckled Margaret. Peggy shooed Margaret away. Janet, said Morris, taking a knee and placing his hand on her shoulder. Janet, girl, he said, giving her a gentle shake. Meanwhile, Guy was again scribbling frantically in his notepad. Slowly, Janet started to come around. How, how long have you been here? Get off me, she said, pushing Morris's hand away. You just bark like a dog, shouted Peggy from the landing. No, I didn't. I was playing with Margaret. What's he doing? shouted Janet, pointing at Guy, who was now on his hands and knees looking under the bed. Janet, began Guy. You don't have an animal in this room at all, do you? Janet looked totally perplexed. What's he on about? Why don't you come downstairs and have a nice cup of tea, interrupted Morris. Instead, Janet opted to play outside with Margaret. Peggy, began Guy, from everything you've said, and from what I've just seen, I think whatever's going on seems to be focused around Janet. Well, why would it do that? she replied. Well, it's quite common in manifestations of this nature. There's a focal point, and uh, that focal point is usually a child of around Janet's age. The mix of bodily and emotional changes make for a right playing field for, well, whatever entity this is. So how do I get rid of it? That's all I want to know, demanded Peggy. Well, first it's important that we document as much as possible and that you let us know of any activity that takes place as soon as it does. That way, we'll be better informed in regards to our next steps, said Guy. I'd like to take everything other than the beds out of Janet's room, and then place cameras around, if I may, mainly for the evening time. Don't worry, they'll only go off if something happens. Reluctantly, Peggy agreed. The next morning as they arrived, they were greeted by an anxious Peggy. Oh, what a night we've had of it, she began. Janet says she was thrown across the bedroom by something. Fantastic, blurted out Guy, quickly realising how that sounded. Sorry, I, I mean we've set cameras up in that room, so hopefully it will have captured something. 
a frantic trip to the film developers ensued, and that evening, it was a mix of two moods. I stood in the Hodgson kitchen, an elated Morris held the developed series of photographs, definitely showing Janet moving across the room. Guy, however, was deflated. She could have just been jumping off the bed. What? Have you seen these? said Morris, forcing them into Guy's hands. It's clear she's been thrown by something. Morris, said Guy, I think you're seeing what you want to see. Re-looking at the pictures. Look in each of these pictures. Anyone who was just jumping would look exactly the same as... He paused. Ah, you see it now, don't you? She is being thrown, said Morris gleefully. No, no, it's not that, said Guy. Look here. He pointed at the curtain. In each of the sequenced photographs, the corner of the curtain appears to be being pulled, then twisted by unseen hands. That is extraordinary, said Guy, rubbing his chin. Morris seemed to give up his support of the levitation incident rather quickly with this shocking new evidence. That's incredible, he agreed. Both men pulled up a chair to study the photographs in detail. Peggy had taken the kids round to see a friend, so for the first time since they've arrived, they were alone in the house. The silence with which both men stared at the photographs was soon disturbed, however. As from the floor above, there came a god-awful noise. A deep vibration, as if the walls were filled with a thousand humming insects. The sound grew louder and deeper, and the two men could feel the vibrations in their chests. Then came one huge bang, and then everything stopped. Collecting themselves, the two men ran upstairs and burst into Janet's room. A cast-iron fireplace, which was previously part of the east wall, had been ripped from the wall and stood a few feet from its original location. Fear gripped both men as they checked the copper pipes which supplied the fireplace. They'd been literally torn in half, unable to keep the fireplace secure against whatever power had removed it from the wall. In an attempt to regain his nerves, Guy slipped back into investigator mode. Damn, he said, motioning to the cameras. We were so keen to look at the photos we didn't put the new film in. We could have caught all this on camera. Morris was still fixated on the fireplace. A look of amazement and intrigue mixed on his face. I think we should try talking to it. The next evening, Morris, Guy, Peggy and Janet all sat in the living room. Janet, began Morris, whatever this thing is seems to centre around you. Now, I thought we'd try and have a little chat with it. What do you think? Janet shrugged. She seemed tired. Peggy had said earlier that she hadn't been sleeping too well. Morris cleared his throat. Can whatever's in this house, he said in a loud, clear voice, please knock if you can understand me. Silence. Can whoever's in this house... Knock. 
Ah, hello. Knock. The four people exchanged anxious glances. Shall we say one knock for yes and two knocks for no? Knock. Excellent. My name's Morris. We'd like to get to know you a bit if that's okay. Knock. Wonderful, thank you. What should we ask? whispered Janet, only to be shushed by Peggy. Morris knows what he's going to do. We need to understand what you are. Were you alive once? Silence. Unsure of how to phrase the next question, and aware this may not last long, Morris asked, Are you dead? Knock. 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 Janet hugged her mother and whimpered. Knock. 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 Fifty-three knocks came back in reply, each knock sounding as if it came from a different wall. Some knocks coming from midair. Are you having a game with me? said Morris. Suddenly, a whoosh sound came from all around, and a cardboard box came flying from the room, hitting Morris squarely across the face. Outstanding, Morris mumbled to himself as he composed himself. Guy fixed Morris with a steady stare. Let's call an end to it for now, said Guy. Morris, if I can see you in the kitchen. The two men walked into the kitchen. Guy closed the door. Morris, I'm not sure we should be initiating a conversation. Janet's very vulnerable at the moment, and we truthfully have no idea what we're dealing with. Morris tried to interrupt. No, listen, said a very serious guy. Do you know how rare it is for a poltergeist to communicate? It's almost unheard of. Poltergeists are a collection of energy, lashing out at random. That thing in there is giving intelligent responses, and we're provoking it, said Guy, hitting his hand on the back of the chair for emphasis. I'm sorry, Guy, I have to disagree with you, replied Morris. This is tangible proof of the afterlife, right here, right now, said Morris, hitting his finger on the table to match those words. Whatever we're doing, we're doing it right, because we're getting a response from something that people say doesn't exist. The two men, both emotionally charged, stared each other down. Spring is in the air at Littleton Coin Company, and we want to help you brighten your collection. Visit us at littletoncoin.com all month long to enjoy 15% off your purchase. With a wide selection of coins, paper money, supplies, and more, Littleton Coin Company has something for every collector's taste. Use promo code SPRING at littletoncoin.com for 15% off your purchase all month long. Restrictions apply. Littleton Coin Company. Serving collectors since 1945. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. 
Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. Morris, Morris, come quick. It was Peggy. On returning to the living room, Janet seemed asleep. She then pushed back on the settee and opened her eyes, smiled and looked around the room. Then, without moving her lips, a deep, gruff male voice said, Hello. Astounded, Morris fetched his tape recorder. Hello. My name's Morris. Can you say my name? Asked Morris. Janet barked. It was the same bark they'd heard upstairs. Morris, came the gravelly response. And what's your name? Asked Morris. My name is Bill. Janet soon regained herself and the voice stopped. Janet, said Morris, where was that voice from? It sounded like it was coming from you. No, it ain't, she said. It felt like it was coming from behind me. I don't like it. The next day, Morris brought his son along. Richard was a solicitor, and Morris thought he would be ideal to question Bill, given the fact he had no bias towards the case. Richard, in truth, was just going along to appease his father's hobby and didn't expect anything to come from his dalliance with Bill. Richard made his way upstairs and set up the recorder. Janet twiddled her thumbs anxiously. Janet, we'd like to speak to Bill, began Richard. He'll only come out if you stay outside my room. Convenient, thought Richard glancing at his father. So, begrudgingly, the team set up their equipment on the landing outside the room. Hello, came Bill's voice. The reply caught Richard off guard. 
he expected nothing of the sort. Composing himself, he decided he wanted to see what Janet was up to in the room. What her face was doing. Was all this just a trick? The door was slightly ajar, and Richard figured he could peek through the crack. Just as he had the thought and braced to move, Shut the fucking door! Bill snapped angrily. Richard glanced at his father, who gave him an I told you this was real shrug. Sorry, said Richard. Bill, can you tell me what happened to you when you died? Can you remember? There was a small delay. Then Bill, in his elderly, gravelly voice, responded, I went blind. Then I had an hemorrhage and I fell asleep and I died in a chair in the corner of the room downstairs. And where are you now, Bill? I'm invisible, came the reply. Why are you invisible? Because I'm a G-H-O-S-T. This recording would be a landmark one not just in this investigation, but in paranormal history. For the first time, there was a possible recorded conversation between this world and the next. A few months later, after news reports of the recording had spread, Morris was approached by a middle-aged man, Terry Wilkins, who asked for a meeting regarding the recording and said he may have additional information. Morris agreed and invited Terry around to his home to listen to the tapes. Morris made some tea. So what's all this about, Terry? I'd sooner not say until I've heard the recordings, if that's okay, Terry replied. Intrigued, Morris pressed play on the tape. Terry's eyes began to fill up. Morris pressed stop on the tape player. That's my dad's voice. Astounded, Morris said, Go on. Well, my dad, he lived in the house before the Hodgson's. He, um, well, my mum popped to the shops one day, and when she came back, he was dead in the chair in the corner of the room, died from a hemorrhage, and that voice is my dad's, Bill Wilkins. There was no possible way Janet could have known this information. And now, any doubt that was lingering in Morris's head had gone. The afterlife was real, and this was proof. In July 1978, to rule out any physical or mental conditions that may have caused the trances and voices, Guy and Morris assisted Peggy in getting Janet admitted to the Maudsley Hospital for psychiatric testing. Janet undertook every possible test over a period of two months. Janet was issued with a clean bill of health, every test for every condition coming back negative. Seemingly Janet's separation from the house had allowed whatever was in the house to reset. Or was it Bill's knowledge he had communicated with his son? Either way, the phenomena slowly petered out. Although not completely. Janet would always feel as if she wasn't alone each time she visited the house in later life. 
and a new family that moved in shortly after Peggy's death in 2003 only managed to stay for two months before asking to be moved to a new property. The family currently residing in the small, unassuming house in Green Street, Enfield, have not spoken with the press regarding any issues in the house. Maybe they don't want to wake sleeping spirits. The Enfield Poltergeist is the most famous, yet most controversial case of the paranormal in British history. And with good reason. And let's take a look at some of the reasons why that is. Well, firstly, both Janet and Margaret admitted faking some of the activity. For some people, that's all they need to know to disregard the entire case. However, Janet claims they were maybe responsible for 2 or 3% of the activity. Both Morris and Guy have acknowledged this attempt to defraud their investigation and simply put it down to child's play. Their argument being that the girls were experiencing a media frenzy unlike any other girls their age. Therefore, if the activity paused for a day or two, they would step in to take up the slack. It's easy to see how this could be the case. However, that excuse in itself has almost become a trope. Wheeled out in any major paranormal case where fakery has been found. However, as Guy has pointed out since, children may well bend a spoon to try and fool an adult, but they can't pull an iron fireplace out of the wall with their bare hands. And besides, they weren't at the property when the incident happened. You'll notice this version of events did not mention the Warrens, the ghost-hunting duo of Ed and Lorraine, who immortalised their involvement in the Enfield case in the movies The Conjuring 2. Well, that's because, unlike in the movies, the Warrens only briefly visited the Hodgson home and was sent packing by Morris when Ed pulled him to one side and told him that he was sitting on a potential gold mine. Seeing where the focus of the Warrens lay, Morris kindly asked them both to leave. Now, let's look at the voice of Bill. Interestingly, Janet would only allow Bill to speak if she were left alone in a room to do so. This automatically throws up doubts around authenticity. However, there are a few things to consider. Firstly, on one occasion, Morris filled Janet's mouth with water and covered it with tape, and still the voice appeared. After this, Morris removed the tape and Janet spat out the water. So are we to believe this young girl was also capable of magic tricks? Who knows? It's interesting to point out that vocal experts claim the voice was being made from Janet's false vocal cords. A set of vocal cords that we do not use. And also, any attempt to use them for long periods of time would result in coughing and a sore throat, particularly in a young child such as Janet. However... Janet was able to talk at length in this way, with no detriment to her normal voice. A quick note on the neighbours too. Vic and his family, and the neighbours on the opposite side, were both offered large sums of cash by the tabloids to come out and say that the entire hauntings were faked by the family. However, both sets of neighbours refused, claiming that what was encountered by the Hodgson's 
was both real and deeply traumatising for all involved. Then we have the police officer's statements, both claiming to witness paranormal events. Surely a child cannot fool two police officers at the same time. Anita Gregory, one of Morris's colleagues at the SPR, re-looked at the case in detail and came to the conclusion that, although there was some very good evidence, this was clouded in the fakery of the children. And a biasness on the behalf of the two researchers, Morris Cross and Guy Lyon Playfair, something the two men would dispute for decades to come. However, one thing that does need to be taken into account when attempting to form any conclusion about Enfield is the personal tragedy experienced by Morris Gross himself. There is one key incident that pushed Morris into investigating the afterlife and the paranormal, namely the untimely death of his daughter. Many people believe that Morris's passion to side with the children and brush over the fakery came from his personal need to believe his daughter was okay on the other side. Proof of an afterlife would at least give Morris hope she wasn't gone forever. His daughter sadly died, aged 22, from head injuries, after riding pillion on a motorbike which was involved in a crash. A series of coincidences around this event piqued Morris's belief there was, hopefully, more to life than we could explain. One such coincidence was a birthday card his daughter had sent to her brother. It arrived on the day she died. The card was a joke one, with the front of the card saying, I was going to get you some eau de toilette, and the inner image showing someone pictured with bandages covering their head, and the words, but the lid fell on my head. His daughter had circled the word head, and pointed at it with an arrow, writing underneath, and there won't be much of that left soon either. Happy birthday, much love, from... Janet. Wherever you fall on the Enfield story, one thing that cannot be denied is its impact on the modern paranormal scene. Only Janet truly knows what was real and what was faked in that house. And for the rest of us, we have the accounts and the recordings and are left to make up our own mind. Don't forget, Season 3 of The Dark Paranormal we'll return to listener ghost stories. If you feel you have a terrifying experience that you wish to share, please email it to thedarkparanormal at hotmail.com. Again, you can sign up to our Patreon if you wish to support the show. Head over to patreon.com forward slash thedarkparanormal. Now, I think to end this episode, it's only fitting that we have the actual audio of a young Janet, apparently under the possession of the spirit known as Bill. I'll catch you next time on The Dark Paranormal. Hello, my name's Morris. Let me hear you say Morris. I want you to tell me whether you remember what happened to you when you died? Just before you died and just after you died? Yeah. 
Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. Coriant provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Coriant has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Coriant has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Coriant has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Coriant's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.